of course you have to read and write, but the gift of dyslexia is that you tell me a story, I can tell you the story behind the story because that's how my mind works. You give me a problem, I'll give you a hundred solutions, all different because I can see through and above, I can connect things that are not linear. And I always find that when we focus and we almost train our children, coach our children, maybe it's a better way, to lean into their dyslexia, not to try to overcome it, to understand it and to feed it, then they can use that gift then to learn how to read. Now, reading and writing is so important, but it's just a medium. It's really what is the lesson within those words? What is the story? What is the construct that we're trying to understand? I'm Debbie Reber, and welcome to Tilled Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I know it can be incredibly powerful and transformational for parents to hear from neurodivergent adults about their lived experience. How did they feel as a child? What was it that helped them navigate feelings of inadequacy they may have internalized or the challenges of being a child who was misunderstood or whose gifts were frequently overlooked. That's why I'm so happy to share today's conversation with Gil Gershoni, the founder and creative director of the branding firm Gershoni Creative, the creator of the Dyslexic Design Thinking Methodology, and the host of the Dyslexic Design Thinking Podcast. Gil's big goal is to show the world that dyslexic thinkers can open new doors and innovate absolutely anything. I invited Gil to share his inspiring story of how, as a child, he shifted his relationship with his dyslexia, so it became the key to his finding so much success in his creative work, as well as to help listeners better understand the link between dyslexia and creativity. In telling us about his journey and his perspectives on the gifts of neurodivergence, Gil also shares how parents can best support and show up for our dyslexic kids so they have the knowledge and confidence to leverage their unique brains. Gil's also the creator of a wonderful, empowering initiative called Dear Dyslexia, the Postcard Project, which invites dyslexics of all ages, from students to professionals, to depict their relationship with dyslexia on postcards using words and images. So I asked him to share with us the why behind that initiative and tell us how it's helping dyslexics everywhere, especially kids, really lean into who they are. I really enjoyed having this sit down with Gil, someone who is very much on the front lines of the paradigm shift we are all a part of. Whether your child is dyslexic, has another learning disability, or is in any way neurodivergent, I hope this conversation feels supportive, inspirational, and motivating for you. Well, hey, Gil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I have been wanting to have you on the show for a while. I think it was someone in my community who first turned me on to your work. I watched a talk that you gave for a summit or an event about your work in dyslexia and your advocacy and just all the incredible things that you're doing. And I thought it would be great to just bring you on the show and learn more about you. I think you're so inspiring, especially for parents raising kids with learning disabilities to do that. It's so important reframe. Let's start by introducing you to people. I've already read your formal bio, but would you give us a little bit of your story and maybe growing up dyslexic and how that kind of shaped who you are today? Absolutely. So I always love to start by explaining that I was born with dyslexia. It's not something I'm working to get over because it's I'm dyslexic through and through. 
it's also important to know that there's many different types of dyslexia. And I'm very comfortable with my view, but maybe somebody that's listening is slightly different. So like anything, like any other modality, it's a spectrum. So I'll come from my perspective. I was born and raised in my early years in Israel. And at the time, dyslexia was not a big diagnosis. People didn't know. So until my fifth grade in Israel, I used to get a lot of comments from the teacher that he's the sweetest boy, but he's not going to mount for much. He's slow. He's lazy, stupid, and things like that. And it was always done with a lot of compassion, but that doesn't usually work well. But, but I really struggled with learning because learning in a traditional kind of way was not the way my brain works. And I've tried so hard. My mom and my dad were so supportive. And it says, he's not lazy and stupid. I mean, he worked so hard after school, on the weekends, doing holidays, tutoring, trying every angle. So I definitely was very driven to try to be average. That was kind of my, my goal in life. Until we switched schools right around that time, and there was a new teacher that was really more aware of some learning differences and says, wait a second, I have a feeling that he's dyslexic. And within a year, they just started teaching me differently, using my whole body, using all my senses, teaching me how to be present and grounded, how to learn to orient when I was so bored with the way they were teaching or so uninterested, so how to find ways to be engaged. And as you can imagine, that's really transformed my understanding of my learning differences and my dyslexia. And I moved to the U.S. when I was in my early teens, and I had to start again in with a new language. But at that time, they already were very much aware about what dyslexia was and were able to give me a lot of support around that. I think it's also something that my parents were very aware is that even though reading and writing wasn't my strength, I had tremendous amount of curiosity and talents and interest in other types of things. So we take music lesson, art lesson, dancing lesson, swimming, sports. So I was always really engaged with a lot of other things. And I think that what it taught me from a very early age is to first and foremost focus on my strengths. And that strength-based approach was what allowed me then to deal and tackle and overcome and have the confidence to deal with things that maybe didn't come as easily to me. And I only got that kind of language later on in life. But as I look back, I thought that that was very transformative to where I am today. You know, I ended up going to university in New York, actually got kind of obsessed with learning, learning in many ways. So moving away from just a sort of very traditional linear one sentence at a time, but I would you know, audio and video and physical and making and doing and participating and volunteering. So I just got so, so excited about that. And there's a lot of dyslexics, you know, they say that over 35% of uh, entrepreneur in the U.S. are dyslexics. And I think it came very naturally to me as well. My second year in university, I already brought three or four of my classmates and we started to do projects for clients volunteered, did a lot of nonprofit work. And very quickly, I had a little sort of team that starts to produce stuff. And that was the beginning of my agency. And from there, I graduated with multiple degrees and really continued to work on my agency in New York and eventually moved it to California and Dallas. And in some sense, the rest is history. But that's kind of a little bit about my early background. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's I think, again, so inspiring for parents who have kids who might be really struggling. I think about 
the low self-esteem that we know so many kids with learning disabilities struggle with because they are so misunderstood. And I love that you had this teacher who really stepped up to the plate when you were in Israel and kind of shifted things. How old were you when that happened? Because I'm wondering how many messages did you have to kind of overcome and reframe from before that shift happened? Yeah, I think it was about nine or 10, I would think. And really before I went to school, I was awesome because I didn't have to learn that way. And I made things and was so interested in so many different theater. And I was interested in the idea of magic and illusion and perception. And I've, of course, I was dyslexic, but that was not uh, something that was really so. The contrast was really drastic as soon as I went to school, but it was around nine or 10. And the thing that really is transformative as I've worked with so many parents and students of all ages over the last 20 plus years is to have the support to have the, that guardian, the parents, the teacher, that person in your life that sees that child with their brightness, their gift, their abilities. Because even though you have to get over or work through your dyslexia and learn how to, what it is, how you compute, how to regulate, how to read and write, so important and so challenging in the early years. If you have somebody in your corner that looks at you and sees the potential sees where you're going to be, then you have that confidence. And that's such a big difference than if you have somebody that sort of has the sadness in their eyes and the pity in their eyes and their body language and, and just don't have that because then you have to really get over that. And often, as you were saying a minute ago, I think that is often the biggest thing to get over. I mean, these days, of course, you have to read and write, but the gift of dyslexia is that you tell me a story, I can tell you the story behind the story because that's how my mind works. You give me a problem, I'll give you a hundred solutions, all different because I can see through and above, I can connect things that are not linear. And I always find that when we focus and we almost train our children, coach our children, maybe it's a better way, to lean into their dyslexia, not to try to overcome it, to understand it and to feed it, then they can use that gift then to learn how to read. Now, Reading and writing is so important, but it's just a medium. It's really what is the lesson within those words? What is the story? What is the construct that we're trying to understand? So I think that that's definitely a thing that was a big, big, um, very lucky on my end that to have that kind of support so earlier on, you know? Yeah. And I love what you said too, you know, that it, sometimes it's just even that one person. And as you're sharing that, I think of conversation we have with David Flink, conversation we have with Jonathan Mooney, and they both had similar situations where it was one teacher, one person who saw them, who really saw the potential in them and helped them kind of rewrite the story, the narrative that they had about their limitations or just ideas they had about how smart they were, how capable they were. So that's such a good reminder I just want to go back to something you said at the very beginning. You said there are different types of dyslexia. What do you mean by that? So like everything, you know, I mean, I think we all have our strengths and differences. You don't have to be dyslexic to be a human. Uh, as long as you're human, there's things that you are very good at and you embrace and things that maybe you don't come so easily. And maybe there is some stigma or some feeling from earlier on that sort of set the tone about how you see and how you experience the world around you and how you participate and relate to one another. So I think that that's basically a human. Within that, we all have our spectrum of diversity. I think the same thing applies to dyslexia. Some of us are very, very strong with math, spatial, creativity, visualization, reasoning, empathy. And I think that with that, our brain processes differently. So I often say that I'm not an expert in dyslexia. I'm just dyslexic. 
And I just spent the last 30 years verbalizing it. So I have a lot of understanding for myself how to put clarity to my experiences, nuanced clarity. What are my experiences and how do I codify it, how I label it so I know what's happening? And if I know what's happening, then I'm moving toward having a relationship with it. And then I can have choices. Sometimes I want to turn my dyslexia to 11. Sometimes I want to bring it to three. Sometimes I want to be all over the place all at once. And sometimes I want to create room and quiet for others. But I had to practice that and understand how to work with that. So to your questions about the different kind of dyslexia, I think that some people are very, very strong with math. They can see it. You know, Einstein was dyslexic. He can see it. I can't speak for him, but I would imagine not like a traditional mathematician, you know, he can see, you know, the relativity and relationships and, and universes of how it works. I've talked to some dyslexic that are authors and writers, you know, Agatha Christie was dyslexic, you know, she can write the stories and put in the mystery right in front of your nose and you don't even know it. And that's why she was a phenomenal writer. Steve Jobs, dyslexic, you know, he can see relationships and how to relate to technologies in ways that change our realities, our humanity, you know. So, Every one of these examples, and there's so many more of them in every industry, uses their own dyslexia, their own experience, their own way, you know, I think over time embrace their dyslexia. And that's where the, the transformation from a disability to what I love to sort of call hyperability. That it's not either or, it's both, but it's the relationship to the whole person that we're talking about. Yeah, that's great. And I love how you talked about leaning into and kind of like leveraging one's dyslexia in a way that works for them. So you just mentioned hyperabilities. I know that that's part of your dyslexic design thinking methodology. And I would love to go into that as soon as we get back from a quick break. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. 
The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. When I first discovered your work and really dove into your website and your podcast and all the incredible resources you have, one of the foundational things that you've shared with the world is your dyslexic design thinking methodology. Could you tell us about that? Absolutely. It starts with, I'll kind of build on the few steps to it because I think that there are certain paradigms that I really uh, embrace that I think are part of the story. So the first thing is, Jumping of your comment about the hyperability, the dyslexia is a hyperability. That it offers insight to the way we think, the way we create, and the way we relate to one another. And that's where that sort of first shift of transformation occurs. At Gershoni Creative, my agency, you know, it's design, branding, and strategy agency. It's so important to me to embrace both the, the dyslexic part, but also the non-dyslexic. Because I think that none of it is in isolation. So it's really how do we work together with others as early as, you know, as six and as senior as 80s. But how do we find a way to relate to one another with our differences, you know? So dyslexia design thinking has really become integrated to the way we work at our agency, with our clients, and with our greater community. And it's really some of the way we codify some of the learnings we have in order to be able to bring it to our neurodiverse team and find a way to relate to one another. I guess about 15 or so years, you know, I, I started dyslexic design thinking. It was based on the idea that dyslexia is the hyperability that offers advantages and helping people in all those kind of things. The first thing I did is we put together a talk that was at South by Southwest. And from there, it grew to some talks, salons, articles, podcasts, art exhibitions, and beyond. So it's definitely, I definitely was leaning to my dyslexia and I was feeding it aggressively. So as, as dyslexic, I often say that if I have one thing to do, I get stressed out. But if I have a hundred things to do, then I'm very, I'm in my happy space, you know? I think it's important to know that it's based around the idea that it's about divergent thinking and nonlinear ideation that can help us generate unexpected ideas. And ideas both in a sense of the commercial work I do in branding, identity, graphic, strategy, but also generate ideas with others, relate to one another, learn about people, you know, and and it's really about incorporating all mindsets, neurotypical and neurodivergent, you know. But it's not really about a contest between the two. There's no, it's not about a competition, it's about co-creating. It's about realizing that, you know, each one of us bring a different insight. And by listening with our whole body to each other and jumping off of each other's idea and playing together 
at drives.exchange. And often the outcome is the last part. And most people say like, oh, we're doing it for a certain goal. But really the goal is the co-creation and the play because you end up coming to the outcome with a lot more mutuality and insight, you know, than if you didn't do that. And if you slow down, it's something that I think it's such an important part to relating to your dyslexia is slow it down because you're still going to see a universe of possibilities, but you're going to be in the blink of an eye. You're going to be able to see so much more than if you just drive your energy right through it, you know, and that's allows them to manifest original ideas, you know, and often because we're slowing down, we actually arrive quicker. And it's such an interesting thing. Most people say, like, wait a minute, if we slow down, how are we going to get there quicker? Because we're going to understand what it is that we're trying to do much sooner. And then our creative effort will be really hyper-focused about what we truly agree is the problem we're trying to address. And therefore, together we arrive. You know, one of the metaphors that I love to experience, or at least for me as when I was younger, I always felt as a dyslexic, you know, my mind goes so fast that I always had to slow down for everybody else. And it was such a sense of frustration because, and my wife always used to, to get me on this, you know, I would ask her a question. By the time the question came out of my mouth, I already knew the answer because my fast mind looked at all the possibility and I had to wait for her to think about it in a very brilliant but different way. And she always like, you're setting me up. And then eventually I realized that actually if I make room for me and her, her insights are so insightful and so different than mine that together is better, you know, and um, it's so much nicer to arrive at that viewpoint with, with your community versus alone. So, so that's kind of like the foundations of how we got there. But really, dyslexic design thinking is based on two different ideas. The first one is design thinking. And design thinking is a problem-solving approach that's based on roughly around five steps. One is empathy, really putting yourself first and foremost in the shoes of the other. And then be able to kind of define and then ideate and then prototype and then test. And I've talked to different organizations in different sectors that says, wait a second, but we're not designers. Design thinking, it's actually a methodology that can apply to anyone. You know, if you are a doctor, it's really putting yourself in the patient's shoes and understanding some of the challenges, what are their experiences and how can you be more compassionate and more empathize with their experience so you can be better at what you do, relate to them as a human, understand how to bring more health to their experience. And then dyslexia thinking, I think it's common for a lot of dyslexic because we're very, very good in visualization. What does mean to me is that I, I can actually see it completely in my mind. I don't have to draw it or sketch it or model it. So if I have an idea, in the blink of an eye, I can close my eyes and actually see it in its full manifestation. Imagination is very, very strong skill that I have. I can imagine worlds again, with ease. Because written and writing wasn't my strong medium of communication, I've learned to, in some sense, almost overinvest in verbal communication. So communication became a very strong thing. And a lot of dyslexic habit is that we just sort of, how do we develop a different skill set or a different sense? Because some of our other senses are maybe not as keen as others. I think a lot of dyslexic are very good in reasoning you know, really finding ways to explain and tell the story or 
market or invent or find a solution that's not apparent to the eye because they can see connections between different modalities. They can see how they affect one side of a business or an idea or of a brand or a communication that would then have ripple effects in other parts of the organization. And I think the last thing is this idea of curiosity and exploration. Because I see language and letters as negotiable symbols, it's very difficult to read. But I always explore those as shapes, as symbols. As I move them around, I can see through them, above them. I can change them in the blink of an eye. And of course, that can be viewed as a disability when you're trying to read. But you take the same idea everywhere else, that's innovation. That's exploration. That is looking at the world for the first time every time. And as you get older, you have life experiences, but you still have that sort of childlike astonishment and curiosity that when we feed our dyslexia, it gives us, as some likes to call it, a superpower. You know, I often say that it's very difficult for me to do things linearly i.e. going from one letter to the next to read the sentence, because my mind leaps. Dyslexics can fly. And as parents, if we help our children feel the confidence and they know that we're there to catch them if they fall, they will spread their wings quicker than you can imagine. I think that those are sort of the two sides of the dyslexic design thinking methodology that then we apply often to our commercial work, but to pretty much everything I do. I love the way you just described that for us. I think it's something we talk a lot about in this community is there are so many strengths with all different ways of being neurodivergent, these hidden strengths and how do we kind of leverage them and show up. And I just was really wonderful to see inside your mind a little bit about what you do, how you experience things, how you're able to manipulate things in your mind and come at it from that kind of really visual creative point of view. So thank you for that. I want to talk about the parenting experience and we'll take a quick break and then let's get into that a little bit. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. 
I hope to see you on the inside. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So right before we went to break, you talked about as parents that we can really help our kids in leaning into and understanding their strengths and feeling that support. So many of us as parents end up having to be advocates, whether we wanted to or not. That is just a role that we find ourselves in. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in the way that you work with or connect with families who have dyslexic kids and how do you support parents in being empowered to show up for and advocate for their kids? Such a good question, but it's, a, it's one of those questions that it's really a case-by-case scenario, but I think there's a lot of commonalities to that. When I tried to read when I was younger, you know, for me, I didn't realize that, as I was saying before the break, that everything was negotiable. I didn't understand what does that really mean. And what I know my teachers and my tutors and so forth really tried to teach me how not to make it negotiable. And that was a sense of frustration because that's the way I'm through and through. Like, tell me it can't be done. I'm the first one to find a solution to get it done. Tell me you can't, we can't afford it. I'll get the budget. Tell me we can't, you know, like to me, that is where the fun begins. But I had to learn that. So as we're talking about how to guide our children is first see what gives them joy. What do they love to do? For the only reason that that is the most important thing, how they're going to make a living doesn't matter at that moment in time, because it's not where they're at and we're projecting too far into the future. They will show you how. Trust that they will find a way to be the shiny, beautiful children that they are. But our responsibility as parents is to make sure that they stay shiny as long as possible and teach them to choose and see and lean into those behavior that makes them the best selves. So often what I do is I try to find those things. My son now is almost 16. He's going to raise himself. I'm just guiding him. It's going to happen regardless. You know, we think that we, but no, they're, they're going to do that on their own. So my responsibility as a parent is how do I guide him in a way that he can have these incremental lessons so when I'm no longer there, he can make the right choices for himself regardless what they are. And you don't have to be dyslexic to do that. And that's my approach. And everybody raises their children in their own way. And I respect that. So again, this is just the way I embraces it. When it comes to reading and writing, it's really challenging. It's challenging because it's really hard to do. It's hard to get from the beginning of the sentence to the end of it and even know what the sentence is about. It's hard to do with your friends and 
classmates where they're, they do it with such ease that it's so obvious that you're so different. Some of us can't even hold a, one, one sentence together, one letter together, you know? So, and then trying to force to do it, trying to break that, then it, it's only reinforced the fact that that's a challenging things to do. So if it's hard for me to read the letters, what can I do around me that gives me joy, that allows me to move the whole alphabet upside down and swim in it? Like make a sculpture of the letters and make them no longer letters. Make them beautiful circles and triangles and straight lines and crooked lines that sort of are something else. How do I fall in love with alphabet as a different way? Can I sculpt those letters so I can feel them with my hands as three-dimensional objects. I can move in the way my mind moved them. Can you as a parent see your child doing it and let them teach you how to think like a dyslexic? What else around, and I play this a lot with adults, children, my own son, is let's play the game of everything is negotiable. First and foremost, as a parent, what are your assumptions you can start there. Can you go ne- negotiate your assumptions? Can you be content as a parent if it's not exactly the way you assume it should be? Not that meaning that it won't get there, but at least it softens the boundaries and allows all of us to sit in this uncertainty at the same time. Because dyslexic often are in the world of abstract and we get over time comfortable with the idea of failure because we have to try so many times and not exactly make those marks. And over time, as we grow older, we learn how to be take risks because that's what it's about, you know, and kind of be on the edge of that idea. And and if we don't, then don't take risks, don't be on the edge, don't innovate. So it's like, I think it's a lot of it is to work together and to figure out, let the child lead and feed it and put some lights on where they feel good and build on those emotions and, and play with that. Yeah, there's a lot more I can say about it, but I'll pause here to see where, where you're at with it. No, it's it's so good. I mean, the theme I keep hearing is this idea of not fighting this. That's something we talk a lot about in the Tilt community is, as you said from the very beginning, you're dyslexic through and through. That's who you are. And, and I think for parents to really lean into embrace and not fight this. And I love this visual of swimming with the alphabet and sculpting and being playful with it. And I think that that is when things can really shift if parents can kind of make that pivot in their own mind and not be parenting from a place of fear, but rather that curiosity and playfulness. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your initiative, you have this wonderful thing called Dear Dyslexia, the postcard project, because you're very committed to helping kids embrace these hyper abilities, these superpowers. So how do you do that? And why is that so important? I should maybe start a little bit around the idea that about, let's think, uh, about a year ago, I started to work with children of all ages around the idea of dyslexia and identity. And I asked them, what is dyslexia to you? And we start to talk about the idea that dyslexia is more than your disability. It's really what gives you joy? What do you love to do? It Because you see everything around you through the mind of a dyslexic. So if you love sports, that's also your dyslexia. If you love art, dancing, wh- whatever it is, that's also your dyslexia. Because we're looking at the whole person and we're looking at the idea that my identity is not my learning differences or my learning disability. It's everything I do, you know, to create more of a balance about it. So out of that 
idea of dyslexia and identity, we, we started to think about the, the postcard project and Dear Dyslexia. And it was really around the idea of celebrating the power of dyslexia thinking and allowing individuals to start to feel and understand the way they think, create, and relate, you know. And I wanted to create an opportunity to showcase that diversity of the dyslexia experience to others. And the goal was to activate a global community around the world to show the unique strength and perspectives that dyslexia offers. And as I said earlier, what I call the hyperability. So we had an exhibition about a year ago or so, almost to date, was called Dyslexia Dictionary. And this was in California, and I brought about nine artists, politicians, mathematicians, designers, fashion designers, and I asked them to redefine dyslexia. They're all kind of in their height in their career. If you had to put a new definition in the dictionary, so they all chose a word and wrote it up like the dictionary definition, and then each one of them created within their own discipline and medium and expressions of it. So the fashion designer did these phenomenal garments. And Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, which is dyslexic, he wrote a book about his experiences through sports and how he embraces dyslexia. His word was superpower. And the 10th artist of the show, I invited kids to create a postcard. And uh, the prompt on top was, dyslexia is to me, and you had to put a single word in it. And then use the rest of the space to express that word for yourself. And I have to tell you, I mean, the kids stole the show. I mean, not that every postcard was, you know, sunshines and rainbows. Some of them were really heartfelt and moving and challenging and, and just like, oh, heartbreaking. But to seeing hundreds of these children from all over at the time, the world expressing it together was really transformative. And after the show closed, the postcard kept arriving. And... I decided to sort of, so like, you know, sometimes you do things that they start to become its own entity and they start telling you where they need to go. So we decided to turn the postcard to its own exhibition and we renamed it Dear Dyslexia. And right now we are just launched it yesterday, uh, early October for Dyslexia Awareness Month here in the US. And I have to tell you, we have over a thousand postcards arrived and every day more and more are coming. The participants are from age 6 to 82, so kids of all ages. We have over 30 schools around the U.S. from New York, Texas, Washington, California, and beyond. We have some events in New York, in Washington, D.C., and in California, both physical and online events. And every postcard that we receive, we scan it, we put it on our online gallery, as well as the physical exhibitions. It's been a tremendous exhibition and just so, so moving. It's been so successful. I just, I'm in awe at the, the, the magic of all of it and the transformation for all of us, you know. I created a postcard as well, of course, but it's really a people's art project. And it's nice to be in such an amazing community of individuals that embraces their identity and write themselves a letter and commit to the positivity or to wherever they are with it. But at least they are part of a much larger story, you know, and that's, that's really beautiful. That's wonderful. Listeners, I'll have a link in the show notes to the online gallery. Definitely check that out. And I am just feeling so inspired by this conversation. I just so appreciate the way that you show up and the way that you are. You're just impacting so many 
different areas of society, kids, parents, the workspace, your design work, it's really inspiring to see and to hear about. And I know that it's something so many listeners are going to be so grateful if they're not already familiar with you to know what you're doing in the world. Before we wrap up, any last thought for a parent who has a kid who is dyslexic, that kid might be struggling or might be feeling bad about them. They may not see it as a superpower. I mean, you've already shared so many wonderful ideas about how parents can kind of lean in and go where their kids' strength and joy space is. But any kind of last word of advice for how that parent can help to really shift their child into unlocking their own potential? Yeah, we have feelings for a reason. They're, they guide us toward what feels good, you move toward it, and what doesn't, you hopefully don't. And you learn to sort of trust you got, you got and you tr- uh, learn to sort of develop a relationship with your own guiding system. At the end of the day, for me, is, is just make space for it and love them. Let them know that dyslexia is a gift and that challenges are challenges and it's the challenges are not the only part of you. There's a thousand other things that you are uh, amazing with and and make space for it and know that the only constant is change. So this too will pass and evolve and transform. So what kind of environment do you create for yourself as a parent, for your child, for your family? So it's a thriving environment at good times and challenging times, you know, And, and those are the lessons that Who doesn't want to get at an early age? So I think that there's a lot of, it's a moment when you're young, it seems so challenging, but those challenges do pay in spades later on in life, you know? So, and find what you love to do because as a dyslexic, dyslexic invented the light bulb, the automobile, the iPhone, you're an amazing company of people. It's like, wow, you know? I, I remember when my son was born and we tested him and he wasn't dyslexic, I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, no, you know, like, oh, I, I really wanted him to get the gift, you know, but and he's so gifted in so many other ways. But I think those are some of the advice that I would share. The other thing I would say, you know, and just maybe in closing is that when you hear stories of other dyslexics in any age, it really helps. It's helped to understand how do I go from really struggling to changing economics like Schwab. Charles Schwab, dyslexic, by the way, Stanford, Stanford graduate, you know, how do I go from, from, from where I'm at there? And if you hear the stories, you realize that a lot of them, as you said, and with your podcast with others, that we all have those same, very similar stories of struggle, finding support, being seen and overcoming and finding our way. So when, when you hear those stories, I think that it really helps you understand that you're not alone. You're in a great community of folks that experiences before you and with you it's the same in similar ways. Check out my podcast, which is we do a lot of conversations with folks in different industries around exactly how they overcame some of their challenges, some of their tools to cope, and some of their amazing successes. So those are the few things I would leave you with and that I know was really meaningful to me as I was finding my way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Gil. And I will have links, again, listeners, to all the places you can connect, including, yeah, your podcast. It's called Dyslexic Design Thinking Podcast, correct? That's right. Yeah. 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 I've been listening to a bunch of episodes. It's great. So I'll have links to all of that in the show notes page. And again, I just want to thank you so much for everything you're doing for parents raising these complex, fascinating humans and everything you shared today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. 
For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.